Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll start with a question. And it's a question I want you to answer. Where is Jesus right now? Who knows? There's multiple good answers to this question. So where is Jesus right now, would you say? Who wants to take a guess? Right here. I love that. Where else? Lots of answers. Where else? In our hearts? That's a great answer. At the right hand of God in heaven? That's a great answer. So, Jesus is in all of these places, and that's because of the ascension, and that's key to what we're going to talk about tonight. So, let's look at this story of the ascension of Jesus from Acts chapter 1. Luke is writing this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised, which you have heard Me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked Him, Lord, are You at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Have any of you ever been involved in planning a surprise party? Those are especially tricky to pull off. You've got a spouse or a friend celebrating a major milestone birthday, let's say. So you have to make a guest list. Who is it that you would like to invite to this party? And you need to let them know, but they can't tell the person, of course. So you're all keeping this big secret. Then you've got to get their invitations out to these people somehow. Communicate to them that they're invited to come. You've got to plan the party. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? You've got to buy all that stuff. You've got to begin to put it together and set it all up and make arrangements for everyone to arrive without the special person knowing. And you've got to keep it all a secret. So let's just say that you've managed to do all of that and the big day arrives and you're planning on everybody coming to your house and gathering secretly inside your house. They're all parking somewhere else and they're all sneaking inside while you and your spouse are out and away. 
And so when you come home, they're all inside and they're going to all yell surprise. So you get to the big moment. Everything's worked perfectly. Your spouse opens the door and three people stand there and say, surprise, happy birthday. And your spouse is surprised that there's anybody there wishing them a surprise birthday, but you're surprised that there's only three. You sent out invitations to a ton of people. Only three people show. I wonder sometimes if that's how Jesus feels about Ascension Day. All these other holidays get all the hoopla. His birth, the whole world seems to celebrate that. The whole world celebrates His resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then it comes to His ascension and people are mowing the grass and taking walks and watching TV. No one even seems to be aware that it's going on. Christmas, of course, is coming soon. You already see some decorations. Once Halloween is over in our culture, it's sort of the Christmas holiday. Some of you maybe appreciate that, others of you a whole lot less so. And it's time for us to begin to complain about the commercialization of Christmas. Such a commercialized holiday. Instead of focusing on the birth of Jesus, it's about Christmas presents, it's about buying, it's about parties, it's about Santa, it's about a thousand other things, it seems. And sometimes we can complain about that. And on Easter, maybe it's a bit similar to a lesser degree. It's supposed to be about Jesus' resurrection and it's all about Easter bunnies and having a ham dinner and a lot of other things. But as far as I know, on Ascension Day, there are no secular people that get together to celebrate anything. There's no Ascension parties that I've ever heard of. The secular world is completely oblivious to this holiday, but because they're oblivious to it, it seems like Christians are too. We almost need the secular world to hop on board, even though they distort the holidays in weird sorts of ways. It helps when the whole world is celebrating because then we celebrate too. Or maybe it's just that Jesus' ascension just doesn't seem as significant to us as his birth or his resurrection. I wonder if the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism wondered this. Because they asked this question, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? In other words, what difference does this make? How big a deal is this in our world and in our lives? Where is Jesus and why does it matter? That's the way I've phrased it for tonight's sermon. In the evenings, I don't know what you do, but sometimes after I'm done with a church meeting, get home, got a little bit of time before it's time to go to bed, Sue and I will sometimes like to watch a program or show of some kind. We're not into regular broadcast TV very much. We used to have a Netflix account, but didn't really use it, so we finally got rid of that. But we do have Amazon Prime, so then we look for a TV series or something that we can kind of watch in the evenings. And we found one. The one we're watching right now is called Bull. Anyone ever heard of that? It was on TV for like six seasons back in the day, I suppose. 
But it's about uh, Dr. Phil, based on Dr. Phil's early life, evidently. I didn't know anything about this. But evidently, he was into trial science. He's very good at reading people. And so he would get together with lawyers. He was actually trained as a lawyer, according to the television show, at least. And he helps lawyers then pick jurors who will help get the outcome that they want to see. So there's a poor person can't afford a good defense attorney or there's someone who's been framed for a crime they didn't commit and then Dr. Bull comes in with all of his technology and trial science and he gets just the right jurors and just the right arguments that are going to convince the jury of the way they want the decision to go. It's been sort of interesting to watch. And I mention this because the Catechism talks about us as defendants in need of someone who can be our advocate. Thankfully, we don't need a Dr. Bull for his help because we have the best advocate there is, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Apostle John writes this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. Paul says this, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And then the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, He, Christ, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Three different New Testament authors all agree Jesus is our advocate in heaven. He prays for us and He pleads our cause before His heavenly Father. So when you or someone you love is sick, Jesus is not only aware of it, but he's probably talking to God about it. At least if you are talking to God about it, he probably is too. Or if you have a child or grandchild wandering from the faith, Jesus is talking to God about that person. He's concerned. If you're having marital problems, Jesus is your advocate. Talking to God about helping you preserve your marriage. As parents, we are often advocates for our children. That's our role, especially when they're young. But we as parents don't always know the whole truth. So your kid bites someone in the church nursery. What happened? Why did your kid bite someone? You don't know what happened. It's hard to find out. They're kids, after all. Little kids who don't even talk about what's going on. Or, you don't know the details of when your son gets in a fight at school. Who's to say whether they're even telling you the full truth? Or, you have a child who gets caught at a beer party at the age of 17. Underage drinking. The cops show up and he gets arrested. You're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. What's the story there? It's hard to know exactly all that goes into these things. But Jesus knows it all. And He loves our children and our grandchildren even more than we do. So He sits at God's right hand and He prays for them. 
And we have the best advocate there is. So, this is Article 26 of the Belgic Confession. Let's read this together. For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves us more than Jesus Christ does. Suppose we had to find another intercessor who would love us more than he who gave his life for us, even though we were his enemies. And suppose we had to find one who has prestige and power. Who has as much of these as he who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and who has all power in heaven and on earth? And who will be heard more readily than God's own dearly beloved Son? That's the Belgic Confession's take on the same thing that the Catechism talks about. So the first reason it matters that Jesus ascended into heaven is that it allows him to be our advocate. We've talked about that a bit. The second reason it matters is because that means part of us is already in heaven. And that sounds a little strange at first, but that's what the Bible says. Physically, obviously, we're very much right here on earth, right with each other tonight. But spiritually, there is a part of us that's already in heaven with Jesus. Because technically, the Bible says, if you are a believer, you are in Christ. You are united with Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross, you died on the cross. When Jesus rose from the grave, you rose from the grave. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, you ascended into heaven. And because Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, that's exactly where you are as well. He becomes our legal representative in the spiritual realm. Just as Adam represented us and fell into sin, Jesus now represents us and Romans 5 explains, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, Adam, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus. Ephesians 2. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and here's the key phrase, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Past tense. That's already happened. You have been seated at God's right hand with Jesus. That's a strange concept to get our heads around, but that's, spiritually speaking, the truth. The Catechism says, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ our head will take us, His members, to Himself in heaven. So I think I have a way I want to demonstrate this. I need Phil to stand up for me. How well is your head attached to your body, do you think? Pretty good? So if I take your head and let's say your head goes this way, oh look, your body goes right with it. What about if your head goes this way? Well, your body just kind of follows along, doesn't it? Thanks for being a good sport. 
That's what the Bible says. Jesus is our head. Where the head goes, the body follows. That's the language. That's the logic of Scripture. Jesus is our head. We are His body. Jesus, the head, is in heaven. The body is sure to follow. That's what He says. It's a guarantee. So if you have Jesus in your heart, you should not worry that you might not go to heaven someday. That is going to happen. There's no doubt about it. Jesus is already there. You are already partly there in Jesus. It's just a matter of time until you get there. That's an amazing comfort. It's this guarantee. That's the word that the Scriptures use. That's a wonderful assurance. One more reason it matters that Jesus ascended into heaven is that we now have both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says this in John 16, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. And the disciples must have scratched their head at that point. How would that ever be good that Jesus would leave them? And this is what Jesus says, Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So let's imagine the world with Jesus never having ascended. So before his ascension, Jesus was resurrected. He had this new body. He would appear and disappear at will, it seemed, wherever he wanted to go. So let's just say that was still the case. And you could go see Jesus in person somewhere in this world. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Until you realize there's about 8 billion people in this world and Jesus is only one of them. Could you ever imagine the crowds that would be swarming around Jesus just to get close? Just to pull out their camera and get a selfie with Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? Imagine that could be possible. But Jesus is only one person. He's only... One person in one place at one time. And so for you to go see him, you would have to jump on a jet. Probably you'd have to pay a lot of money. You'd have to go just the right time and just the right place. And then you'd have to fight the crowds. It'd be worse than trying to see the Pope. I mean, it'd be very, maybe you'd get a glimpse. Maybe you'd get it and you'd say in your picture as you're describing it to your friends, you see Jesus, he's that little speck. You can't even get close. You can't spend any personal time with him. He's just in one place at one time. So it sounds fantastic, but then you realize the limitations of being in one body like we are. Whereas when Jesus went to heaven, he says, it's going to be so much better. I can be everywhere at once. I can be in your quiet time room every morning. When you get up to meet with me, I will be there with you. When you come to church on Sunday, I will be in that church building with you while you're singing, while you're worshiping, while you're learning and being reminded of all these truths. I'm sitting right there. That's amazing. That is made possible because Jesus ascended into heaven. He can be everywhere at once. The Holy Spirit, in other words, gives us better access to Jesus Far better than we would have if he were still here and confined to one place at one time.
Secondly, the Holy Spirit guarantees what is to come. Similar to the point we've already made, but 2 Corinthians 5.5 says, Now it is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. How many of you have ever put a deposit down on something? Anyone ever do that? When you buy a big ticket item, you don't have all the money on hand right at that second where you make the decision. So you don't want it to slip out of your hands. It could be a car. It could be a house. It could be another expensive thing. So you say to the seller, I'll give you some money down. And it has to be substantial enough so they know you're serious. So if you back out and never come back, they keep your money and then sell it to someone else. But at least they get something for the inconvenience. But you put money down and that money says what? I'm serious about this. I will come back with the balance and I will pay it all to you. But sellers don't typically give you high priced items if you don't give them anything down. It's it's too risky. You've got to give them something to show that you're serious. So, the Scripture here says the Holy Spirit functions like that for us. He's like this down payment to assure us that what is going to happen is really going to happen. Heaven is real. Jesus is already there and we will soon join Him. And we know it's true because the Spirit is like a deposit guaranteeing the rest. That's the scriptural argument. And then finally, because Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit in His place, the Holy Spirit adjusts our priorities, the Catechism says. As much as we try to resist the world, we live in the world, we breathe the same air, we live in this culture, it has an influence on us, often far more than we think. And pretty soon we start to think the way everyone else thinks, We desire what everyone else desires. We buy what everyone else buys. We just become conformed to the world. Which Paul says in Romans, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the world. Be conformed to Jesus. So that takes a bit of effort on our part. Not to be conformed to the world. Not to have spiritual drift set in where we become unmoored to Jesus and we just go along with whatever flow is going on. We go with the flow. We act like everyone else. It's easy to do. Even as adults, it's easy. it easy happens to us. And that's where we have to resist. And that's where the Holy Spirit helps us to resist. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit is tapping on our shoulders saying, don't go that way, go this way. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's helping us. He's teaching us. He's always there, present, to help focus our lives on what is eternal rather than what is temporary. Colossians 3 talks about this. Let's read it together. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. So where Jesus is ends up making a significant difference for us. Because He ascended into heaven, we have the most amazing advocate there could ever be for any of us. Jesus, the Son of God. Because He's there, a part of us is already there. That gives us tremendous comfort and assurance that we will end up there one day. And because now we have both Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we actually have better access to Jesus than we would have. He guarantees what is to come and the Spirit and Jesus together help us adjust our priorities so we become conformed to Him and we seek what is above, not just things on this earth. What an amazing gift we have that Christ ascended and all of this is ours as a result. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your ascension. We celebrate it and are so thankful that You didn't just stay in one place at one time, but You are right here with us tonight. You will be right at our side tomorrow. You are closer than we ever even know. And Lord, thank You for the assurance that You give us that because of where You are and because You are our head and You live in our heart, that You're going to take us there one day. Lord, it doesn't always seem like that's the way it's going to go. We can get caught up into sin. We can get oblivious to You and Your priorities. And yet, Lord, You're always at work. Always loving us. Always assuring us. Always helping and guiding us. Always forgiving us. And so, Lord, thank You. Thank You for the guarantee. Thank You that the Spirit is that deposit for us. And we know that the best is yet to come when we get to be with You forever. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.